tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 38th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And we are going to be sharing the Lemp Mansion from St. Louis, Missouri with y'all today. And boy, does this house have a tragic history. I know. I am so excited to tell our listeners about it. And of course, we know that with tragedy comes hauntings. So the Lemp Mansion is, of course, haunted. And guess what, Denise? It's the most haunted place in St. Louis, Missouri? For sure, because it's (laughs) one of the most haunted places in America. Oh, okay. (laughs) Although we don't have a lady in white today, we might have one in lavender. Ooh, lavender is a good color. Yeah, I don't do that whole pastel-y crap thing. No, that's not for me. Lavender is like purple. (laughs) Kind of pastel-y, but you know. Well, we want to wish everybody a happy April. We're into our seventh month of broadcasting, Denise. That is very cool. Yes. And last month, we broke major records for us in downloads. We had nearly 3,700 downloads at just one of our podcast catchers. That is fantastic. Now, I know that there's a lot of podcasts out there that that's like their daily download, not their monthly. But for us, that was big for us. And we have all of you to thank for that. And frankly, I'm always a little bit, um, I'm motivated I don't want to say I'm humbled because humbled sometimes isn't the right word to use in these cases. I am very um, energized and motivated by those numbers. And because I thought, well, we'll be lucky if we have more than just mom and dad tuning in. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'm downright excited because this is the first time I've ever been involved with something like this. Well, we did our one live show, but this is the first time where it's been like a podcasting. So it's been really fun. Yeah. The live show we did didn't last for very long and I thought it was pretty lame. And I had a hard time staying awake. Yeah, it doesn't help when your co-host is sleeping and snoring next to you. Okay, in my defense, though, I was getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and our podcast didn't even start till 11 p.m., right? I think we did it from 9 to 11 p.m. Oh, was it from 9? I think so. But yeah, because, oh, that's true, because I would stay awake the first hour and the second hour. I struggled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she'd be helping me ask questions of our guests in the first hour, and by the second hour, I'd be like, and Denise, do you have anything you'd like to ask? Crickets. Crickets. <laughs> and more crickets. Hey, you know what else we need to wish our listeners? Happy Easter, buck buck. <laughs> you know, I love that sound because that means it's the season for Cadbury eggs. And oh, do I love my Cadbury eggs. Oh, yes, she does. She was very grateful that I'm, I like, I mean, I like them okay. I don't, I can't eat a whole one. And so every Easter when mom used to put them in our Easter basket, she got all mine too. You probably all will notice, usually we put up a podcast every five days. This one's going to be up a day early just because Sunday would have been the normal load up day for this. And we were going to be taking Easter off. We're going out to SeaWorld to do the sunrise service out there. So you're getting this podcast a day early, you lucky people. And you probably noticed that our last podcast, you got a little extra bonus that got loaded up there too. We had an outtake show, so bonus cast number four 
was out there as well. Hope you guys enjoyed those outtakes. I'm always like, should we let people know that we're not perfect? If they don't know we're not perfect by now, then <laughs> I don't think a bonus cast is going to help. What, do you mean we're not professionals here? Well, we're professionals. We're just not perfect. And we're definitely not a big crew. Uh, we have our, our producer and our writer and our editor and hosts. and That would be Diane. The marketing. and That would be Diane, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're a uh, two-man team here. That's it. So and I mostly you get what you pay for, right? Don't do a whole lot and of this stuff. how people don't pay for this. Hey, there <laughs> you go. If you'd like to find out more about the show, you can do that at our official website, which is at historygoesbump.com. It's got everything loaded up there. We'd love to have you sign up for our email newsletter. You can also donate to the show there, shop in our Emporium, find the archives of the show, find the last 10 shows up there, where you can find us on social media. We'll have our events up there. If you want to find out about us, it's got a page for that too. So you can check it out there. And Denise, if they'd like to send us some feedback... Where can they do that? They're going to simply do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. We'd love to get your likes over at our Facebook page. Just look for History Ghost Bump. And please come join us at the Spooktacular Crew. Just look for Spooktacular Crew in the groups. You should be able to find us and just ask to join and we'll get you in there and get to sharing stuff. We'd love to have more of you join us there. I think we're ready to uh, take a little venture to St. Louis, Missouri. <laughs> like to support the show please visit our patreon page at patreon.com forward slash history goes bump or perhaps you just want to make a one-time donation click the donate button on our website at historygoesbump.com Many brothers enjoy sharing experiences with each other. The enjoyable experiences may be fishing trips, road trips, a family barbecue, or other bonding event. Some shared experiences can be tragic, and this one in particular is not only deadly, it is a bizarre coincidence. Bermuda is a beautiful island small enough for residents to get around by moped. Neville Eben was 17 and he owned a moped. The year was 1975. He was riding along one of Bermuda's busiest roadways when tragedy occurred. A taxi driver who was either not paying attention or driving like a typical taxi driver in Bermuda, which is completely erratically based on my own personal experience, hit Neville and the moped, killing the young man. Erskine Lawrence Eben was Neville's younger brother, and he managed to get the moped working again. Erskine went riding on that same main drag where his brother was killed. He too was killed. He was also 17 at the time. He was riding the same moped that his brother had been riding when he was killed. It was a taxi that hit and killed him as well. As a matter of fact, it was the exact same taxi driver that hit him. Both brothers were killed at the same age while riding the same moped on the same road by the same taxi driver. Now that coincidence certainly is odd. This history podcast is haunted. This day in history. On this day, April 4th, in 1968, civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. is assassinated. King began his civil rights activism in 1955 when he led the Montgomery bus boycott. 
For years, he continued to fight to rid the nation of segregation. In 1963, he organized the March on Washington and gave his famous I Have a Dream speech at the same time. King was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1964, and the following year, he led the march from Selma to Montgomery. Throughout these years, he received numerous death threats. He told his wife after President Kennedy was assassinated, quote, This is what is going to happen to me also. I keep telling you, this is a sick society. End quote. On April 3, 1968, King had gone to Memphis to give what would be his last speech, I've been to the mountaintop. He retired for the night in his usual room, 306, at the Lorraine Hotel. The following day, King went out on the balcony a little after 6 p.m. He was struck by a bullet fired from a Remington Model 760 in the cheek. The bullet passed through his jaw and some vertebrae, and his jugular vein was severed. King was rushed to St. Joseph Hospital, where he was pronounced dead at 7.05 p.m. The assassin was James Earl Ray, who was staying at a room across the street at a boarding house. He fled the scene, leaving behind a rifle and binoculars. He was arrested two months later and sentenced to 99 years in jail. He died in jail in 1998 at the age of 70. There are many who believe that Ray was just a scapegoat and that the U.S. government assassinated Martin Luther King Jr. Listening to History Goes Bump. The Limp family and Lager Beer go hand in hand. What started out as a grocery business grew into a beer empire in the St. Louis, Missouri area, and it brought success and wealth to the Limp family. But the history of the Limp family is far from happy. Their story is one of sadness and tragedy, and that tragedy has led to rumors of hauntings at their home. The Limp Mansion in St. Louis. So, we're going to be talking a lot about beer today, Denise, something you and I are experts in. Yeah, because, like, um, ick. <laughs> and we're teetotalers, so we don't even drink it. But、um, see, we need to have the guys from the Curioso podcast here because they know this stuff really well. So,、um, uh, I'm just trying to figure out how I'm a teetotaler when I don't like tea either. <laughs> Well, you know, I don't, we're, you know, we need to find out what the origins of that word are. Speaking of origins, we're going to be doing the origins of nursery rhymes with the、uh, Ninth Story podcast coming up this month. That should be fun. Very much so. In 1793, Johann Adam Lemp was born in Gruningen, which is located in the German province of Hessen. Everyone called Johann by the name Adam, and he spent his youth learning the brewer's trade, eventually becoming a master brewer. He set his sights on America and sailed for the land of opportunity in 1836. He headed for Cincinnati, Ohio, but decided he would rather be further west and he moved to St. Louis, Missouri in 1838. Adam decided that he wanted to make his way in the grocery business and he opened a small grocer. This does not mean he gave up on brewing beer. He continued, and before long, his grocery store was the only one selling beer in the area. Adam brewed vinegar as well.、Uh, that's funny. I didn't even know vinegar needed to be brewed. I had no idea either. I'm a master vinegar brewer. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> the beer and vinegar sales were good, and Adam decided that perhaps he should put his focus on these two items. The William J. Limp Brewing Company was established officially sometime between 1840 and 1842. Records disagree with each other on the actual year. Adam opened a new factory at 112 South 2nd Street between Walnut and Elm Streets, and the plant manufactured vinegar and beer. A pub was built onto the factory, and this is where Adam sold his beer. By 1845, Adam was brewing only beer at his brewery. 
Some claim that Adam was the first to brew lager beer, having brought the yeast over with him from Germany. We will let beer historians argue on that point, but suffice it to say that Adam Limp had a unique commodity and people were buying it up and he was the first to bring brewing to St. Louis. Lager beer was unique in that it did not have to be refrigerated or drunk quickly before it would go bad. Its yeast is bottom fermenting, while most ales have top fermenting yeast. The success of the Lemp Brewing Company led to a big issue. The factory was too small to store all the beer during the lager process. Adam came up with an ingenious solution. A natural limestone cave had been discovered on the outskirts of town, and Lemp found that if he used ice from the Mississippi River to keep the cave cold, he could use it to store his beer during the lager process. The cave held 20 to 30 barrels of beer, and by the end of 1845, 3,000 barrels of beer had been stored in the cave. The brewery continued to grow, and by 1850, it was producing 40,000 barrels of beer annually, worth $24,000. In 1858, Adam's beer captured first place at the St. Louis Fair. Adam Limp died in 1862, and while he was not a millionaire, he was very wealthy and had become known as the father of beer in St. Louis. His funeral procession had 30 horse-drawn carriages. Adam left the brewery to both his son, William Jacob Limp, and his grandson, Charles Bronick. The will stipulated that if either contested the will, then the other man would receive the full inheritance, so apparently the father and son did not get along. The two formed a partnership and changed the name to William J. Limp and Company. The partnership only lasted two years, and William brought out Charles. William had learned brewing when he was younger and already had a successful brewery in St. Louis. His experience helped him to make the Limp Brewery twice as successful as it had been under his father. William built a new factory over the limestone storage cave. He moved on to establish coast-to-coast distribution. The Limp Brewery was the first to accomplish this feat. The future was bright, and William was grooming his favorite son to take over the operation. The Limp Mansion was built in 1868 by William's father-in-law, Jacob Feichert. The architecture was Italianate, and when William purchased the home in 1876, he expanded the house to 33 rooms and added Victorian decor. He also had three huge vaults built where the family would store all their valuables, including artwork, when they left town. A tunnel was built between the house and the brewery, and a portion of the limestone cave was converted to a ballroom, auditorium, and swimming pool. These were accessed via another tunnel that no longer is open. Can you imagine building a ballroom and a swimming pool and everything down in some caves? It would be pretty unique. Um, I mean, a different thing. But, yeah, I wonder. It would be interesting to see what it looked like. Because I'm used to seeing ballrooms with, like, the big windows and the chandelier. It just, I don't know. Anytime we've been in these caverns, it doesn't seem like there's, like, big open spaces that you could put this stuff. But, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't think I've ever been in a limestone cave before. I've been, you know, where there's a lot of stalactites and stalagmites and all that stuff. But... I don't know if this one was formed the same way or not. Yeah, because like you said, most of the caves we went to, there's like maybe an opening big enough for the tour director to tell you a few things, but I can't imagine trying to have a ball. No, and that one that we went to in Branson, that was really deep. (laughs) And very cool. Yes. In 1884, a radiator system was installed. Radiant heat had been patented five years earlier. An open-air elevator was installed where the grand staircase had been several years later. Today, only a portion of the lift still exists. The parlor ceiling was hand-painted, and the fireplace mantles were made from intricately carved African mahogany. An atrium was located behind the parlor, and exotic plants and birds were kept here. A unique feature of the main bathroom was a glass-enclosed, freestanding shower that William had discovered, 
at an Italian hotel and brought back to St. Louis. He actually was one of the first people in the St. Louis area to have this glass enclosed freestanding kind of shower. And now look, almost every house every has, house one. has yeah. them. The house also featured a sink with glass legs and a barber chair. The bedrooms were on the second floor with the servants' quarters on the third floor. The third floor also had an observation deck and skylight. Another bathroom in the mansion featured a white granite shower stall and a marble and cast iron mantle. The basement held the wine cellar and kitchen, and there was a laundry room down there as well. The kitchen was completely modernized at the time. All seemed well until 1901. Frederick Limp was William's fourth son and his favorite son, and he was heir apparent. In 1901, he died under mysterious circumstances. But Frederick had multiple health issues, and it is believed he died of heart failure. William was devastated by the death of his son, and he spiraled into a depression. In 1904, William shot himself in the head in his bedroom in the mansion and died. It was only the first of several suicides to take place in the Lemp family. William Lemp Jr. had gone to the same university as his father, and he had studied brewing of beer as well. He married Lillian Hanlon in 1899. She was known as the Lavender Lady because it was her favorite color. She painted her carriages in that color, and most of her wardrobe consisted of that color. William Jr. took over operations at the brewery, and he continued the success his father had with the brewery. He also moved into the Lemp Mansion. Unbeknownst to the Lemp family and beer and liquor makers across America, temperance was gaining a foothold and prohibition was on its way. The cave swimming pool became a place for true decadence. William hosted lavish parties where he supplied his wealthy friends with prostitutes and liquor. It was during this time that it is rumored that William fathered an illegitimate son who was born with Down syndrome. The boy was reportedly hidden in the attic during his lifetime, and I just want to point out that there are no legal papers out there that match this story. So this could just be legend or rumor, but it is a story that a lot of people say happened. But I, there was no proof that I found anywhere that this child actually was born or anything. But of course, illegitimate, Down syndrome, want to put him away, nobody sees him. In 1908, Lily filed for divorce from William Jr., claiming abandonment and cruelty. I mean, I don't blame her. She got custody of their child, William III. Problems would continue for William Jr., finally culminating in the brewery shutting down in 1919 because of prohibition. Falstaff was the name the Lemp family had given their beer, and the trademark was sold off, and the brewery was auctioned off to the International Shoe Company. William Jr. fell into despair, and in 1922, he shot himself in the front left dining room of the mansion, which was his office at the time. And looks like the curse of that going down, because his father also shot himself. Mm -hmm. William Jr. was probably not only depressed over his failed business, but over the death of his youngest sister, Elsa Lemp Wright the wealthiest heiress in St. Louis. She had been William Sr.'s youngest child and had married a man named Thomas, with whom she had a horrible relationship, and they divorced. She claimed she had suffered mental cruelty. She did reconcile with Thomas, but in 1920, she shot herself in the head while in bed at her and Thomas's home. So by 1922, three of the Lemps have committed suicide. William Sr.'s son, Charles, took over residence at the Lemp Mansion after his nephew's suicide in 1929. He lived a reclusive life and possibly went a little nuts. In 1941, he sent a letter to a funeral home stating that when he died, he wanted his body taken to the Missouri crematory and that it should not be clothed, bathed, or changed in any way. He wanted to be cremated and have his ashes put in a wicker box and buried on his farm, and he wanted no funeral. 
Eight years later, he would shoot his dog dead and then turn the gun on himself and shoot himself in the head. So now we got suicide number four. Right. I wonder why he killed the dog. That's rude. You know what? A lot of people who commit suicide, if it's just them and their animal, they do that because what's going to happen to them. So they do it so that they're not just left alone. Oh, isn't that kind of them? Yeah. And he had two servants living in the house with him at the time. So they would have taken care of the dog. That's just stupid. William III would die before his uncle Charles in 1943 from a heart attack when he was only 42 years of age. Edwin was the last of William Sr.'s children, and he died at 90 in 1970. He had all the family heirlooms and artwork burned. Yes. Can you imagine you've got all these priceless pieces of artwork and family heirlooms, and you say, you know, I'm going to build a bonfire outside and just throw it all in? Sometimes you wish you could get into people's brains and figure out what the heck they're thinking. This family, I think, was nuts, clearly. (laughs) Oh, that's true. The Limp Mansion had earlier fallen into decline. The mansion was sold in 1949 and no longer belonged to the Limp family. It became a boarding house. In the 1960s, construction on the Ozark Expressway caused the mansion to lose much of its grounds and two carriage houses. It fell into further disrepair until 1975, when the Pointer family brought the property and restored it. The building is now the Limp Mansion Restaurant and Inn. The inn has six suites, each named for a member of the Limp family. Special events are held regularly, and the Limp Experience and Haunted Tours are hosted. So the rooms are named after, like, all the people that shot themselves in the head. Lovely. As a matter of fact, yes. <laughs> Whose room do you want to stay in? Now, of course, Elsa did not kill herself in the Lemp Mansion. She was at the home that she and her husband shared. But um, who knows? She might come floating over every so often. Just to say hi. Sure. Hey. Tragedy and hauntings go hand in hand, and the Lemp Mansion is no exception. The home is considered to be one of the most haunted locations in America. Boarding house residents were the first to complain about hearing disembodied footsteps. During renovations of the mansion, workers experienced slamming doors and oppressive feeling throughout the mansion and other strange noises. A painter who'd been working on restoring the painted ceiling quit because he could not handle the oppressive nature of the house any longer. Restaurant employees have reported footsteps, strange noises, seeing apparitions appear and disappear, and glasses have gone flying off the bar all by themselves. William Jr.'s illegitimate son had been nicknamed cruelly Monkey Face Boy. He died in the mansion during the time that Charles lived there when he was in his 30s. People reportedly see the face of a young boy with Down syndrome peeking out of the attic windows. Paranormal investigators have brought toys into the attic and drawn circles around them, only to find them moved later. EVPs of a young boy saying, come play with me, have been recorded and even guests claim to hear the same thing audibly. The women's bathroom has become home to the leering eye of William Jr., One woman had been at the bar with two male friends. She excused herself, and while she was doing her business, she looked up and saw a man peeking over the stall. She returned to her male companions and remarked that she hoped they had gotten an eyeful. Both denied being the peeping Tom. And there's other women that have complained of this as well. William Jr. also apparently kicks the door to the bedroom that had been his father's room. It's believed that William Jr. had kicked at the door to get through it after his father committed suicide. So that seems to be something that's kind of residual. Yeah, that's what that sounds like. The staircase features the disembodied footsteps of someone running quickly up the stairs, and glowing orbs have been witnessed moving up and down the stairs. The back staircase is where Charles's dog is heard panting and clicking his paws against the floor. In William Sr.'s room, a white glowing apparition with a beard 
was seen near the sliding door that leads to the bathroom. The lavender lady suite occasionally has a distinctly lavender scent and the door opens on its own even after being locked and a shadow figure has been witnessed. The diminutive lavender lady has sometimes been seen as a full-bodied apparition. A piano on the first floor plays itself occasionally. The tunes are usually ragtime. I like ragtime. That'd be good. Yep, so if we ever go to the hauntings there, we hope for the ragtime music and everything else can just stay quiet. You know, this is in St. Louis, so, you know, if it's on our way, maybe we can stop and at least take a picture. We can't do the haunted tour. They only do those on Monday nights, and we're not going to be there on Monday. Oh, bummer. And I have no idea why this lavender lady appears to be there or is giving off the scent there, because this was William Sr.'s wife, who he divorced in, I believe we said 1908. So... I don't know what she would even be doing in this home unless she just really loved the mansion and returned to it. Sometimes I wonder if people get kind of a thought in their head and you're thinking it's the lavender lady room, so you're thinking lavender, so you smell lavender. Or she might be a woman scorned. Well, that could be too. I mean, he definitely was not a nice guy. Yep. A tour guide was strolling the grounds and reported hearing something that many people have claimed to hear. The sound is that of horses braying and snorting with bridles clinking. The area that this is heard is where the carriage houses had once been. The basement is reportedly a scary place, aren't they all? Did you ever run up the stairs when you were down in your basement? Like, let me see how quickly I can get to the top before something can get me. Yeah, and the scary, the funny part about that is my bedroom was in the basement for quite a few years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I would have had my base, uh, my room down in the basement at our house. Anything creepy happen? No, not my basement. You know what's funny? We actually, uh, when we lived with your folks before we moved out here and we were saving up money, that is where we stayed, was down there. So I guess I did have a basement room at one time. Yep. guess it keeps it kind of cool. But anyway, this one is really creepy. And it's nicknamed the Gates of Hell. Oh, nice nickname. You know, I never knew that Hell had so many gates. I mean, this is like the third or fourth show when we've mentioned the gates of hell or the portal to hell or something. It's got a lot of doors. Yep. So far, we've never mentioned the highway to hell, though. Do you want me to sing? Go for it. (laughs) I'm on the... Okay. Anyway, an angry, shadowy presence seems to hang out near the sealed off tunnel. Perhaps he's angry. He can't get into the party. I mean, I'd be PO'd if you thought there was a bunch of boozing and swimming and... Okay, I'm just kidding. You don't even like to go to parties (laughs) that you want to go to, so you're not going to be angry that you're not at one. That is correct. I'm an (laughs) introvert. I'm not much of a party girl. Put me in a room full of people, and I'm like, where's the corner? Ah. A white, misty apparition has been seen, and when photographed, a white orb appeared on film. They also have a dining area down here that's for, like, group dining. So occasionally when they get it set up, tablecloths go flying, People get weird feelings. It's kind of They get a feeling like uh, you're not welcome down here. And in the show notes today, there is a collage that has several pictures that were taken from down in the basement. I wouldn't go down there for anything. Now, now that is a creepy looking basement if you all want to go look at it. And I don't know that I'd be wanting to dine and everything down there. It's pretty weird. No, I mean, it's just like brick walls, concrete floors, weird archways. And no, no, thank you. Legends of America toured the mansion, and they report on their website, quote, As we begin to make our way back down the stairs and pass by William Limp Sr.'s room, Amy pulled me aside because the door was standing wide open, with the key in the door. Not going in, we just wanted to peek. We continued our journey down the hall when an alarm was raised by the guests of the room. 
when they had arrived back from dinner, they found the door wide open and were looking for a manager. However, there was no key in the door when they arrived. A manager quickly responded. It was impossible that there had been a key at the door and there was only two keys to that room. One was in the hands of the guests, the other in the hands of the manager. So who opened the door and where was the key that we saw when we passed? Later, several members of the group would describe having passed a man in the hallway, holding the key in his hand and described as acting irritated when the large group moving through the hallway. Described as pale, older, and wearing a white shirt and black pants, no one thought anything of it at the time, believing him to be a member of the staff. However, we would find that there was no such gentleman working or staying at the mansion the night that met that description. Though no harm was done and nothing was disturbed in the guest room, the whole experience was very bizarre, end quote. Yeah, I I don't think I'd want to stay in that room because I'd be like, why was he opening the door and leaving it open? If he's perturbed, it sounds like that door's usually supposed to be open, you know, when he had lived there at one time. So he was upset that somebody locked that door. How dare they? Hmm. Delisa on TripAdvisor reported, and I love to go to TripAdvisor to get these because they're just kind of off the cuff things. And, uh, you know, it's so funny. It's kind of like with everything when it comes to reviews of books or movies, you're going to have people who are like, oh, five star, it was fantastic. And then other people who are one star, this was the worst experience of my life. I know, isn't that funny? You're like, okay. Yeah, I went from so, one person who just thought it was the most incredible thing they'd do, done. It was the, their favorite thing they'd even done in the whole St. Louis area. And then the next person said the place was cold and damp. There was no staff there at night. That there, it was, I guess it's supposed to be a bed and breakfast. Their breakfast in the morning was gas station muffins and some Nutri-Grain bars. And there was nothing to do. And it was just a horrible thing. So go figure. But anyway, Delisa seems to have had an exciting experience. She reported, quote, when we got there, we found out that my husband, stepdaughter, and I were the only ones staying in the house that night. <laughs> no, thank you, please. And again, there is no staff, I believe, after 11 p.m. at night. I've never heard of a place not having any staff. That doesn't even seem like it would make business sense, but okay. So it's just the three of them. We had the lavender room and Elsa's room. Around one in the morning, we heard voices talking down the hall on the third floor. Again, they're the only ones there. While sitting in the Elsa room, we also heard something crawling down the hall. Okay, I'm having visions. You know those creepy movies that you see where the girl's like crawling across the ceiling or across the floor and she looks like she's contorted? That's just what I'm seeing in my head right now. It was terrifying. My stepdaughter stayed the night on the couch in the lavender room with us. I did not sleep at all. We didn't even turn down the bed. So it doesn't sound like anybody was sleeping in any bed. They were probably clothed and ready to flee. <laughs> and her stepdaughter's like, I'm camping out on your couch. So they got two rooms for the night and all ended up staying in one. So did tragedy leave the limp mansion ripe for hauntings? Are the only ones in the mansion those that are still living? Is the limp mansion haunted? That is for you to decide. And on our next show, we're going to be doing Hotel Jerome, which is in our former home state of Colorado in Aspen. How's your Aspen? <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm just asking, how's Aspen? How's your Aspen in particular? But you know, <laughs> I'm sitting on it right now. <laughs> oh. But I know when I would go skiing, I spent a lot of time on it and it didn't feel very good. <laughs> I was not a very good skier. That's probably where the shirt advertising Aspen came from, is all the people fall in on their derriers on the ski slope. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and I never went to Aspen other than um, we did a couple of little 
walk-arounds the mm-hmm. place, but we never went skiing there or anything because I'm sure most people have heard of Aspen because it's where all the elite go, so it's a pretty expensive place, although all of them are. I remember when I was a kid, which was... A long time ago. <laughs> well over 20 years ago. We went to a McDonald's in, uh, I believe it was Breckenridge or Vail. It might have been Vail. And I could not believe that a Big Mac was six bucks. I can only imagine what it is now. No kidding. Now it costs more than the hamburgers we buy at the Disney parks, which are expensive. Oh, my gosh. So we hope you'll join us for that show. We greatly appreciate you taking the time out to listen to the show. We know that it takes some effort to find the show, to download it, and then to put it between your ears. We enjoy being between your ears. And in your head. Ooh, I don't know if you guys really want us there. <laughs> this- More scary, they don't want to be in our head. <laughs> That's the frightening place to be. <laughs> That's very true. Although we could tell them to do all kinds of crazy things if we were in their head. Like that new movie coming out. <laughs> yeah, the Pixar movie. That one looks cute. I'm looking forward to that one. I have been your host, Diane. <laughs> and this has been Denise. Y'all take care now. Bye-bye. Be sociable, drop the chain rattling, neck biting and shape shifting and join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the page.